You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. Give me a go, no, go for launch. Booster. Go. Retro. Go. Vital. We go fly. Guidance. Guidance, go. Surgeon. Go flight. Ecom. We're go flight. GNC. We're go. Telmuse. Go. Control. Go flight. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Network. Go. Recovery. Go. Capcom. We're go flight. Launch control. This is Houston. We are go for launch. Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Charles Porterfield, and uh, hoodoo is my business. And welcome once again to the Now You Know Show. It is so nice to have you here with us. So nice indeed. We were not with you last week because, well, good old blog talk decided to do its normal little thing that it does. And uh, we just had some uh, 
technical difficulties that simply could not be resolved. The chief engineer and I worked diligently on it, but we could not get it to work. Oh, well, thus is live radio. But we're with you this week and so glad to be here. What a week, what a week it has been. Well, the temperature continues to rise. And uh, as we all, we Texans, seek shelter in our little air-conditioned holes, trying to avoid the heat as we race into August which will be the height of our heat here in Texas. And I'm sure you're just fascinated by local weather reports if you're not in the area. But otherwise, it's been a pretty nice little week here. In the big outside world, in the hinterlands, what can I say? You know, I could just run a show. Uh, on on what happens in the week intervening. You know, I could just have like a variety show. We could have like song and dance skits about the the madness, the insanity that goes on out there. Um, And so what I'm going to do is, rather than sing and dance for you folks, I'm going to just sort of sum it up. I'm just going to kind of sum up my feelings on this week into one little sentence and and here here that sentence is i know that civics are not taught um in public schools to the extent that they used to be in former years but i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure you can check me on this and if if i'm wrong uh feel free to, uh, you know, send in, you know, uh, uh, cards, messages, and uh, letters and notes uh, to the Now You Know show to me to let me know if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure that to actually serve as president of the United States of America, you must be sound of mind. Just going to leave it there. That's it. Just going to leave it there, uh, and you can you can apply that to uh, whichever candidate you want, uh, because it it goes around this year. Uh, you can apply that to the left. You can apply that to the right. You can apply that to the 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 two to the two standard parties. <laughs> this week you can uh, apply it to some of the third parties. But anyway, just pretty sure. Look into it. Look into it. I'm pretty sure that you must be sound of mind to actually serve as president of the United States. Enough said about that. I do have some sad news um, to announce, and uh, we did not get to discuss this uh, last week, Uh, but um, a friend of ours and a very good and close friend of our Dear friend, Dr. E, Eddie Gutierrez, John Ravenmoon, a member of the Unnamed Path and just a wonderful guy, uh, passed from this world uh, last week on Friday at, uh, at 12.40 p.m. 
and he will be very much missed. And uh, our love and condolences go out to he and his family and his loved ones and his friends. So that's all the news uh, from me, but not all the news that we have. Oh, no. And so we now take you over to the LMC Radio Newsroom, where the one, the only, Wink Winkerson is waiting with the news. Good evening. Today is Thursday, August 4th, the 217th day of 2016. There are 49 days until autumn begins and 149 days left in the year. Today and tomorrow are auspicious days to cut firewood, mow to increase growth, dig holes, wax floors, and kill plant pests. Fishing will be poor through the 8th. Up till the 5th is the best days for killing weeds, briars, poison ivy, and other plant pests. Clear wood lots and fence rows at this time of year. Today's highlight in history comes to us from this date in 1991, when the Greek luxury liner, Oceanus, sank in heavy seas off of South Africa's southeast coast. The 402 passengers and 179 crew members all survived, largely through the efforts of the ship's entertainers who oversaw rescue operations. Also on this date, in 1830, plans for the city of Chicago were laid out. In 1892, Andrew and Abby Borden were axed to death in their home in Fall River, Massachusetts. Andrew's daughter from a previous marriage, Lizzie Borden, was accused of the killings, but acquitted at trial. In 1914, Britain declared war on Germany for invading Belgium. The United States proclaimed its neutrality in the mushrooming world conflict. In 1936, Jesse Owens of the United States of America won the second of his four gold medals at the Berlin Olympics as he prevailed in the long jump over German Luz Long, who was the first to congratulate him. In 1964, the bodies of missing civil rights workers, Michael Schwerner, Andrew Goodman, and James Cheney were found buried in an earthen dam in Mississippi. In 1977, President Jimmy Carter signed a measure establishing the Department of Energy. And finally, in 1987, the Federal Communications Commission voted to abolish the Fairness Doctrine, which required radio and television stations to present balanced coverage of controversial issues. Today's LMC birthday greetings go out to actress-singer Tina Cole, who is 73. Actor-comedian Richard Belzer is 72. Actor-screenwriter Billy Bob Thornton is 61. Actress Kim Karath is 58. Actress Lauren Tom is 57. President Barack Obama is 58. 
excuse me, 55 today. Actress Crystal Chappelle is 51. Author Dennis Lahane is also 51. And rapper-actress Yo-Yo is 45. Our thought for the day comes from the classical Greek philosopher Plato, who said, the beginning is the most important part of the work. This has been the news from the LMC Radio Newsroom with Wink Winkerson reading. And we turn you over now to Professor Porterfield and the lucky number. Lucky number. Dreaming of lucky numbers Hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. Will show for me Numbers on the show for you and me Superstition Or even make me suspicious A Table with 13 dishes It will make me That's mommy, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, okay, yeah. Put my trust in group of dust. Cause you know some days may bring you a seven. Or oh, maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, that's you the eleven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, yes. And you need not just trust in goof or dust, as the Nicholas Brothers recommend, because we have the lucky numbers and the card of the week for you here each and every week. As always, this week's lucky numbers are brought to you by ProfessorPorterfield.com. Why not stop on by and check them out? And the lucky numbers are 17, 21, 29, 36, and 45, and an extra number this week, 55. That's right, those numbers are 17, 21, 29, 36, 45, and 55. And I must tell you that 21 and 55 are particularly hot right now. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are... One, two, one. That's 121. Three, six, seven. That's 367. And seven, five, nine. That's 759. And I have to tell you, I have a very, very good feeling about 367 right now. The card of the week is the King of Hearts, the Kind Father. This week, we see a time when it is profitable to seek counsel from elders, particularly male elders. This is a good week to consider your actions and your place in life as it relates both to those above you as well as those below you. Take care this week against being harsh and rigid as well as being unkind or lacking in understanding. Remember, our week here on the Now You Know Show runs Thursday the Thursday, so check in with us each and every week to get the numbers and cards when they first come out. And if you hit, oh, remember where you get. Till then, good luck to you all. Up next, the, oh, the darling, the darling of the LMC Radio Network from the first and second Baptist churches of Quimby, Texas, 
our own Miss Loretta Evans with Cooking with Miss Loretta. Sweet Loretta Martin thought she was a woman, but she was another man. about me. This week I have a little bit of something special for you. I've been getting letters from you all and I just have to tell you how blessed and just surprised I am that y'all write me. And I was asked this week if I had a recipe that uses the crock pot and also the oven. And I do have one for you, and it's still a very simple and easy recipe that makes a delightful meal for your family. And so I brought it to you this week. This is slow cooker and oven garlic chicken. And the boys tell me they'll be posting up all the information in the chat room after I'm finished. The prep time for this is about 15 minutes. And the total time for it is about three hours and 55 minutes, but you can extend that to six or seven hours. This makes four servings, so it's good for a a relatively small family. The ingredients that you will need for this recipe are one large onion, halved and cut into thin slices, one tablespoon of chopped garlic, one and one-half teaspoons of dried thyme, one teaspoon dried basil, one teaspoon dried oregano, one teaspoon salt, one-half a teaspoon of pepper, and one cut-up whole chicken. Between three and a half to four pounds is about perfect. To make this recipe, you will spray your five to six quart slow cooker on the inside with a cooking spray, and then place the onion and garlic in the slow cooker. In a small bowl, mix together your thyme, basil, oregano, salt, and pepper, and rub each piece of chicken with the herb mixture well. Arrange the chicken pieces over the onions and garlic in a single layer if possible. Then cover, cook on high heat for 3 to 30 minutes. That's the high setting on your crock pot. If you don't want to do that, if that's a little too fast for your day, you can use the low heat setting and you will cook it for 6 to 7 hours. You will cook until juice of the chicken is clear and when the thickest pieces are easy to cut to the bone. You can also use a meat thermometer for this, and your chicken should be at least 165 degrees Fahrenheit. At this point, set your oven, your oven to broil and line your broiler pan or cookie sheet with foil. Using a slotted spoon, 
remove your chicken from the slow cooker and place it skin side up on your pan and broil with your tops about six inches from the heat for four to six minutes or until a golden brown. And this is a wonderful recipe to serve with a nice rice dish or with some seasoned noodles or even with potatoes. I like to serve this with oven-baked potatoes or sometimes I will fry cubed potatoes with a little bit of onion and spices. And it's just a delightful dish and I hope you and your family enjoy it as much as I and mine do. Well, until next week, bye-bye. Thank you, Miss Loretta. All right. Hey, that sounded pretty good. And uh, that was an, uh, you know, that's seriously, I, we got to try that around here. Uh, that'll be a pretty good uh, a little recipe, uh, like she said. And I like the fact that, uh, you know, you can kind of uh, extend the time on it if you want to. That's uh, that's interesting to me, at least. Uh, yeah, it gives you a little few more options. Up next, the professor's pontification. This week's subject is good times, bad times. You know, I've had my share. How about some good news? It's good news week. Someone's dropped a bomb somewhere, contaminating atmosphere and blackening the sky. It's good news week. Someone's found a way to give the rotting dead a will to live, go on and never die. Have you heard the news? What did it say? Who's won that race? What's the weather like today? It's good news week. Famines shake the need for coal by stimulating birth control. We're wanting less to eat. It's good news week. Doctors finding many ways of wrapping brains in metal trays to keep us from the heat. try to pick out music that goes with, you know, the flow, right? I mean, it's going to work with whatever we're talking about or how the show's set up. But I'll admit, 
I also try to, you know, try to you know, be a little obscure, you know, try to, you know, try to present a challenge. Forget about it. Are you kidding me? Bam! Bam! Miss Catherine Ironwood had that just boom, bang. And she's right. She's 100% correct. Absolutely. That was Hedgehoppers Anonymous with It's Good News Week. She gets a brownie. And she gets one of the corner brownies because it'll have two crispy sides. I mean, boom! There wasn't even like a slowdown on it, okay? You could play Name That Tune with Miss Cat. I'm serious. You could play name that tune with Miss Cat. I could name that tune in four notes. I mean, she could do that. Seriously. Welcome to this week's professor pont- professorial pontification. This week, we're going to be talking, oh boy, about good times and bad times. And But how about some good news? This is going to be a somewhat interesting topic, and I have locked the door to keep the kid out from asking me, what does it have to do with you? Okay. (sighs) Because, well, you will see what it has to do with Udu. Tonight's topic has to do with what I call chic synonism. Now, first of all, Let me define for you a cynic. My personal favorite and constantly used definition of a cynic is by the one and only Ambrose Bierce, who said that a cynic is a disappointed optimist. And you're hearing this from the horse's mouth, okay? It might be a little odd that Professor Porterfield is talking about cynicism when he himself is seen by many to be an old crank of a cynic out there in the world. But I am not talking tonight about an actual cynicism. I am not actually talking about those of us who are, in truth, disappointed optimists. I'm talking about chic cynicism. What do I mean by that? Well, on the show before, I've talked about the oh-so-spooky crowd, spookier-than-thou, creepier-than-thou crowd, and how there's this sort of image that they build up around themselves, you know, because they have dining tables in their living rooms. They have uh, living room tables made out of human bones, right? And uh, they they only drink absinthe out of out of human skulls, and you know, whatever. Okay, they're just, they're just ooh, so spooky and so scary and so disturbing, and they think that makes them cool and different, etc. And I've also talked about those who engage in transgression simply for transgression's sake, right? They think they're so hip and so cool and so with it because they are transgressive. This is the third part of that party 
at the suck-ass restaurant, okay? It is those who are cynic or cynical in a chic way. In other words, they are cynical because it's chic, because it's cool, because it makes some broad statement about life. They're not actually cynical. They don't actually want to see any change. They wouldn't love to actually have their cynicism proved wrong. And by the way, most cynics would love to have their cynicism proved wrong. And again, you're hearing that from the horse's mouth tonight. I'm also not talking about those who are endeavoring to point out serious problems that are going on, that are occurring, that something could potentially be done about if we'd get up off of our collective asses and agree that we wanted to change it, whether it's damage against the environment, social injustice, man's inhumanity to man, you name it. I'm talking about people who use cynicism as both a buckler and a sword. And it's become rampant in certain parts of the spiritual and magical community. And it's used in a number of different ways. First of all, it is used somewhat understandably as a backlash against a segment of the spiritual community that are how do I want to put this? Uh, Pollyannas. They're, they're fucking Pollyannas. I'm sorry. Okay? They're the magical, spiritual Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. Okay? I, I understand. God help me. I understand that only like 10 to 15% of the total listening audience that I will ever have even knows who Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm is. Go and look it up. Okay? She's hanging out with Heidi. All right? Uh, it is a response to that. There are these people who engage in this sort of Pollyannist attitude and all oh, it's all wonderful, it's all wonderful. Da, 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 da. And so there are people that respond to that with a certain uh, certain level of cynicism, a certain harshness. But I'm not even speaking about those people. I am speaking specifically about those individuals in the spiritual and magical communities, and in hoodoo, who use a feigned cynicism. A feigned cynicism. I, at least I hope it's a feigned cynicism. Good, good Lord. Oh, Lord, help these children if it's uh, not feigned. But use a feigned cynicism to basically bring everybody else the fuck down. Because by doing so, they put themselves the fuck up. You see, it's a power game. It's a little way to once again be the sagacious, wise, well-spoken, real person in the room. We're just, I'm just keeping it real. You're not keeping it real. You're being a pointless cynic. You're not helping any of us. You're not telling any of us, oh, well, we could possibly change it this way. We could possibly change it that way. You're not trying to create any sort of collective change or collect. You're not being encouraging. You're not shedding light into darkness. You're not speaking truth to power. 
all you're basically doing is saying, oh, yeah, right, as if, sure, I bet. And this cynicism is like a creeping malaise. What it does is it teaches people around you to keep their goddamn mouths shut, not to say anything positive. We all know these people. This is somebody who, you know, somebody posts up, we are so blessed today that little uh, Ambrose has been born and he's six pounds and seven and a half ounces and mom got through labor well and, and what a glorious blessing it is for our family and we're so happy to welcome you into our lives, Ambrose. And then there's a little picture of a little baby in his little his little stocking cap, right, in his his in his little place there in the hospital and this is the sort of person that writes oh so glad she came out of it well i don't know how much of a blessing it is considering the state that the world's in okay look the world is in a shitty state it seems to be getting shittier every day (laughs) once again i am well aware of the irony of the fact that i'm discussing this topic and i myself am a cynic it, it's, it, it can be a terrible, horrible place. There's lots of terrible, shitty, awful stuff that's going on out there that potentially we could change collectively. But these people have just taken the moment to say that they're happy because their baby has been born. Could we just say, you know, listen, you don't, you don't I, I will give you permission. I will give you permission. You may now just say Mazel Tov. You don't got to be Jewish. You can just say Mazel Tov. I'll write you off on it. If anybody goes, well, you're not Jewish. Why are you saying Mazel Tov? You can say, well, Professor Bordekill told me that. Cause, you know, that, that's fine. Just say congratulations and move on with your goddamn life. Okay? Did you actually have to take the time to say to people in a moment of joy, uh, you know, eh, that sucks, you know? The baby's never a shitty life. Come on. Now, if this were done, say, merely at the birth of a child, uh, you know, we could say, well, maybe they're really, maybe they're really, uh, maybe they just are cynical and they have poor social skills and they don't know how to, you know, say congratulations to somebody who's had a, a child being born. Except they'll do the same thing when somebody dies. Oh, so-and-so died, and, you know, we're going to miss, you know, Mr. Finkler. He was a wonderful guy, blah, 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 blah. And they'll say, well, you know, it's probably better considering, you know, Trump's going to be president. Probably uh, he left before it got really – it's like, okay, you're doing the same thing, except now what you're doing is you're bruising someone's grief. So joy and grief both, you know, are just something that gets thrown into the garbage disposal that you turn on very loudly to do one thing draw attention to yourself look how cynical i am look how real i am look how in tune and in touch and you know uh just willing to state the way look how look at my integrity my integrity is such that it won't be beaten down by social norms and manners no, you're just an ass. You're just an ass. And we see this. We see it all the time. 
But we also see it in the magical and spiritual community as well, as you can well expect, considering that it's made up out of people from the rest of the goddamn world. Here, anybody who accomplishes anything with their practice or with their work, out comes the cynical barb. Anyone who says something positive, out comes the cynical barb. Anyone who says we can make a collective change, out comes the cynical barb. Anyone who is encouraging to others to follow their practice, their work, or their goals, or their path, out comes the cynical barb. Why? Again, it does first. It draws attention back to the cynic. I'm the center of attention. But it also does something else. It disempowers the other individual. It disempowers that individual, or it disempowers their work, or it disempowers their goals. It disempowers their statement. It disempowers their encouragement. It disempowers their intelligence. It disempowers their scholarship. That's two. And three, it makes the cynic look edgy. Edgy. As if they are willing to engage in a truth that others won't. None dare say the truth but I. Except that's not the truth. It might be a component of truth. It might be a facet on the larger gem that is truth. But it's not the only truth. It's just one perspective. But you're trying to make yourself seem oh so cool by saying it. Then this creeps into a further problem we have. This is where workers start to get cynical about the work. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean they're cynical about the work, meaning it's a, a, a sham job, it's a con. I don't mean that. I mean they are cynical about their clients, and they're cynical about their clients' needs. Look. Let me be very, very honest with you. I have clients, and a lot of those clients are looking for love and reconciliation work. And love and reconciliation clients can be amongst the most problematic clients that one can have. It's, it's just true. It's just true. It's easier to have, a, uh, it's easier to have pimps who don't want to go to jail as clients than to have the lovelorn and the heartbroken as clients. But when you become cynical about them, let me ask you this. If you had rheumatoid arthritis or heart disease uh, or a pulmonary disorder or uh, anything, a blood disorder, anything, and you went to a specialist in the field, and that doctor was cynical. You know, ah, these assholes—they—they don't listen. They don't—they don't do what I did. You, you're not going to do what I tell you. You're not going to take the medicine. All you people are the same. Oh, my bones hurt. I have—I have osteoarthritis. Would you ever go near that motherfucker again? Do you think that person is a valuable member of the AMA? 
Do you think that person's a healer? Do you think that person's upholding their oath? I I don't. Maybe I'm weird. Once again, if I'm wrong, uh, please send uh, cards and letters to uh, Professor Porter, Prof Porterfield, Prof Porterfield at gmail.com, and I, I'll be happy to you know read through them and, and try to get some illumination that apparently this is what we want our doctors to say and to act. We don't want our doctors to act that way, and there are doctors that act that way, and they get very bad names very fast. Sometimes they continue to be in business because they are experts and specialists, and they're the only person in a particular region that can be gone to, and that's a damn shame. But that level of vicious cynicism has no place of a healer. It just it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. And and they exist. These doctors exist. All right. And you can take palette to whatever you mean. You can you can either see that as an artist's palette to to paint from, or you can take that to be the palette in their mouth. It it works both ways, kids. And so too, this has no place on the palette of the spiritual worker. I'm going to go a step further. It particularly has no place amongst the hoodoo worker. Let me explain what I mean by that. Certainly, there are people that come to hoodoo workers because hoodoo workers are a little more, oh, how do I want to put this? A little more direct, uh, uh, talk truth a little more steadily, uh, don't flower or sugarcoat things. Certainly there are workers like that, and I myself am somewhat of a worker like that, and there are clients that eagerly seek that out. But that's not cynicism. That's truth-telling. That's honesty. That's uh, a certain kind of directness that people, some people, seek and desire. But the hoodoo worker in particular should not fall prey to an open level of cynicism, and here's why. Because the concerns of the average client for a hoodoo worker involve common issues that have to do with love, work, money, prosperity, and often the client is in a place of desperation. So what are you being cynical about? Oh, they're all like blah, 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 blah. Well, you're the guy that put yourself in business. Nobody took a gun and held it to your head and said, you'll become a practitioner. You've got to go and be a practitioner. You've got to practice hoodoo and conjure and root work, or I'll shoot the family dog. Nobody did that to you. You did this to yourself. If you're that cynical, if you're truly that cynical, if this isn't just chic cynicism, well, get the hell out. I mean, seriously, not because I don't want you there per se, but to do yourself a favor. This is killing you. This is dragging you down. This is annoying you. This is eating at your bones. So do yourself a favor and leave it. Stop. Just stop. It's so simple. Unless, I don't know, maybe... The money is so good. Now who's being cynical? 
If you cannot approach your clients with honesty, integrity, and some degree of sympathy, then you don't need to be encountering them. You don't need to be approaching them. And cynicism doesn't help that. Don't confuse cynicism with honesty. Don't confuse cynicism with concern. Don't confuse cynicism with being uh, 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 exasperated. Exasperation is not cynicism. Exasperation is saying, I'm exasperated. I don't know what to do here. And sometimes there are clients you have to let go of. There are clients you have to say, baby, I can't keep reading on this one guy forever. I'm not going to keep reading on this one man forever. I'm not going to keep reading on this one woman forever. I'm not going to keep lighting candles for you forever and ever and ever on this one issue. We need to move on. You have to do something else. You've got to make a change. But, and that's not cynicism. Cynicism is when you're taking their money, you're doing their work, you're doing the things for them, you're making prescriptions for them, and you're talking about them either to their faces or worse, behind their backs, you know, just going, uh, oh, these people, uh, they're an idiot. Don't they realize there, there is no fucking love. There is no happiness. The, the problems in this world are so big that they don't matter a hill of being. Okay, that's bullshit. Who are you to judge them like that? Who are you to do that? These are your paying clients. Now, that doesn't mean you need to approach all your clients again as or from a Pollyanna position. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you're just there to say everything's fine, everything's always great, and everything's always going to be great. No, there does have to be truthful interaction between clients and workers. But cynicism is not truthful. Cynicism is just curdled milk. Okay, it's a damn shame. It was left out too long, and it curdled. Now pour it out and and wash the cup and get yourself a new cup of milk. All right. Far worse than that, in my mind, is this chic cynicism, this faux cynicism, where you're not even really cynical. You're just Captain Bringdown. That's right. You're just Captain Bringdown. If, if that's not fatigue, if you don't want to be Captain Bringdown, if you want to be Flight Lieutenant Bringdown, if you want to be Corporal Bringdown, you know, you, you can be General Bringdown for all I care. I don't care. You you can be in the private sector and just be Mr. or Mrs. Bringdown. I don't care. You can be Ms. Bringdown if that's you know more towards a feminist ideal. You can just be that Bringdown person. I don't care. But that's who you've become, and you're doing it again to draw attention to yourself and to empower yourself. Now, it's bad enough when that is done with one's fellows, one's colleagues, and quote-unquote younger – and by this I don't necessarily mean young of age – people who are trying to come into the practice. That's pretty shady of you to just bring everything down, draw attention to yourself, and try to make yourself look oh so cool and oh so real and oh so honest and grizzled and harsh and I've seen things that would curl your – you know, whatever. That's, that's a shady of you, okay? 
But to do that to your paying clients, that is abhorrent. That is wicked. I mean, for fuck's sake. They're paying you and you're doing that to them? Man, life must be pretty good around where you are. I'm surprised you're so fucking cynical. Ah, but then it's working out for you, isn't it? You get to have disdain for your lessers, sneer at your betters. I, your contemporaries, and all the time act as if you are in some isolated, informed, wise ivory tower where only you have a telescope pointing at the stars of truth. Only you see things as they are. Yep, pompous ass. Kind of thing needs to stop. That does not mean that we need to stop shedding light into darkness, that we need to stop telling truth to power, that we need to stop trying to change things, both through individual means and collective means. We must endeavor to change and make things better. But we do not make things better by disempowering those who are already attempting to do so. Be careful while you're out on the streets and in your homes and doing your work. Be careful not to pick up the germ seed of A, honest cynicism, and B, certainly faux chic cynicism. It's an ill-fitting suit. It doesn't stay in fashion long. You get you know, a better dollar value out of a pair of blue jeans. And after all, no matter how bad things get, it's still, despite all claims, is not yet the end of the world.
It's going to be amazing. You'll be happy you did, particularly if you are involved in paganism and neo-paganism. You're going to love that show. So once again, thank you, Troll Towelhead. And we have a few more words about all the people that help bring you all of this. It is I, Count Gulas, here to talk to you once again about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Cavi Road, Forestville, California. Friends, did you know that Lucky Mojo is both an online magical shop and a real magical store that you can visit? It's true, I've been there. They carry a full line of handmade spiritual supplies, including occult oils, incense, powders, candles, herbs, mojo bags, spiritual soaps, books, and spell kits. For those who cast magic spells, love spells, money spells, and protection spells in the African-American hoodoo, pagan magic, and other witchcraft traditions, who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. You must go and visit them. Go, take the journey, travel up into the mountains and the mists and the great giant trees and see them there near the chill, cold waters of the Russian River. Bring your children. They'll love the train set, the amazing train set seen by hundreds and in them pages of magazines, no less. You too will enjoy it, watching the trains go around and around and around and around, leading you deeper and deeper and deeper into hypnotic sleep until all you can hear is my voice. All you can hear is my voice. Speaking to you about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company on 6632 Cavi Road, Forestville, California. And while there, you can take a few moments of quiet meditation and prayer in the world's smallest church. That's the Missionary Independent Spiritual Church right there on the grounds of Lucky Mojo. And then walk inside and browse through the aisles, looking at thousands of items from all around the world. But if you can't get there, my friends, if you cannot get there, do not fear. No, because you can find them online. Yes, online at www.luckymojo.com and sit in the comfort of your own secluded and darkened chamber looking through page after page at thousands of the finest made and most amazing products available at www. And in the real world, at 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. <laughs> Tell them Count Goulash sent you. <laughs> Thank you, Count Goulash. Well, that's, uh, as always, 
amazing guy. Up next, a little segment of the show we like to call... Divination and You. That's right, Divination and You. This week, we're going to be talking about the reading of cups. Oh, yes. The reading of cups, the reading of the leftover leaves, the reading of the leftover grounds, all sorts of things. You, you know, if you like coffee, you can do coffee. If you like tea, you can do tea. You might want to have a little sugar and cream ready, though. Cream in my coffee. Tonight, we're going to be talking in Divination and You about cup reading. Cup reading is the general term for readings made by seers or fortune tellers uh, that interprets visual symbols left in a client's cup that is made up of tea leaves, coffee grounds. The specific forms of cup reading include tea leaf reading and coffee ground reading. Tea leaf reading is very, very old. And in fact, 
may be as old as the invention of drinking cups. Some claim that it originated in China, the region where tea was first commercially grown, uh, but it seems to have been an ongoing form of divination in Scotland, Ireland, and England long before trade with China was developed and was probably developed there uh, using herbal teas. It is also found in the Middle East, uh, where you find the reading of coffee grounds, because tea is not quite as popular there. But at the end of the day, the idea of reading a drinking cup for signs of the future is a part of the human experience, and you find it in many, many cultures throughout history and throughout the world. So as a general guess, because, again, there's not a lot of archaeological evidence of this sort of thing, you know, they're not going to quite kind of you know, have your cup read and then put it away and it's going to be buried. Uh, it probably dates back to early human history or even prehistory. It is considered a very domestic, uh, at-home, you know, commonplace uh, kind of fortune-telling. Uh, and is very rarely performed in an elaborate ceremony at an altar or during a ritual. Generally, it is performed one-to-one -one between the reader and the client in a very uh, homey, close, and comforting situation. <clears throat> in this, let us start quickly with tea leaf readings. In tea leaf readings, or fortune telling, the individual who will be reading the tea brews a cup of tea for the client and then interprets the patterns or signs in the tea leaves after the client has finished drinking their tea. Now, let me say something to you um, that's uh, kind of obvious, but people often – the methods we have nowadays of brewing tea and brewing coffee result in coffee and tea that does not have grinds or leaves left over in the cup. In fact, it is quite startling. To see people get their first cup of coffee or their first cup of tea that has coffee grounds or tea leaves in it. They don't know quite what to do with it. You see them sometimes with the, sitting there swishing their spoon around looking somewhat distressed and panicked like a, a cat that's lost uh, something it was chasing and doesn't know quite what to do now. And if you wish to read coffee grounds or tea leaves – you're going to have to brew coffee that has grounds in it, and you're going to have to brew tea that has loose tea in it. Otherwise, there's nothing to read. Now, is there? Also, you may not need to be making them by the cup. You're going to be needing to make a pot. Because otherwise, well, you're going to have this tremendous abundance of tea leaves in one cup. And this abundance of grounds in one cup. 
And that's not going to be very helpful towards reading. It's just going to be this big blah. Okay, there's this huge pile. So you will make a pot of coffee. You will make a pot of tea, which will have loose grounds and loose leaves in it. It would probably be best if you stirred it before you poured. Because again, they're going to settle either all to the top, some leaves will do that, or all to the bottom. That's where coffee grounds will go. And you must consider that. Otherwise, you're just going to be, you know, drinking a lovely glass of tea, a lovely cup of coffee, and then there's nothing there. And how do you read that? The earliest printed references to tea leaf reading come to us from the 19th century. And in one book from 1899, the author, uh, John Hanley, who was an American, referred to figures and signs as interpreted by our grandmothers. Now that tells you right there that the practice in its domestic form at least dated back, well, into the early 19th century. In the 20th century, tea leaf reading became a widespread and very popular form of divination, and its popularity uh, grew as women engaged in the suffragette movement and the gaining of their own rights and powers and became entrepreneurs who, after the First World War, often opened tea rooms. And if you've never been to a tea room, you, you really should. You're missing out. There are several good ones. I know, of, uh, I know of several good ones in San Francisco and in New Orleans. And they are generally small, kind of homey, somewhat cozy, domestic sort of little restaurants that serve a very light lunch, you know, a watercress sandwich, anyone? Watercress sandwich? And non-alcoholic beverages, primarily tea. Hence, it's called a tea room. And getting your cup read in a tea room uh, was a popular activity in such restaurants, as, as particularly, particularly between World War I and World War II. And they would often uh, have on staff a reader, uh, a specialized reader. One, you know, we've got a reader here who can read your tea leaves. You can still find that certainly in New Orleans. It was there when I was in New Orleans. Oh, not quite a month and a half ago, I saw two tea rooms, and they both were, in fact, tea rooms, and they both had readers offered. Clearly in the window, it said on their little placards that they had a reader available to read your tea leaves. Uh, they also, during this time, uh, would feature the, the gypsy reader. This would be an individual who, whether they were Romani or not, uh, would be dressed up in uh, what was assumed to be a gypsy guard who would give you uh, a, a free reading with every meal or uh, they might read your palms or they would read your cup for a slightly extra charge or for a lovely tip from you. Now, you can do tea leaf reading with a perfectly plain cup. You don't need a specialized cup, but there are a number of beautiful specialized cups that bear on the inside, glazed onto the inside, beautiful sim symbols. Uh, we have uh, 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 we have various, you have cards, one of my favorites, of course, because you all know how I feel about cards, that carry the, the inside glazed, has all these little tiny 52 card, the entire deck. We have ones that have astrology symbols, of the signs of the zodiac, signs of the planets. We have 
ones that have certain other common symbology, uh, like you might find on an oracle deck, uh, snakes, anchors, horseshoes, suns, moons, etc. And this is used so that the tea leaf remnants, uh, when you look at them, you look at what they're positioned over, you know, where they are. Like, oh, this, this, this tea leaf is over the sun, and that means this. And this is over the horseshoe. This is over the ace of diamonds. It's, this is over Venus, and this is over Capricorn, etc. I really do encourage you to go out and look for some of those cups. They are absolutely fantastic. But now as to the how of the matter. Tea leaf reading is <clears throat> almost always performed in person. It would be very difficult to do any other way. And basically, the person who's going to read for you brews a pot of tea. They pour you a cup. You drink the tea down. Then you hand them back the cup. And then they look at the tea leaves, looking at where the tea leaves are in relationship to the inside of the cup and looking at what patterns or shapes, just as we talked about, week before last with candle wax reading form by the tea leaves and how they relate to each other. Now, next comes coffee ground readings. Now, coffee ground readings are very popular in the nations that make up the Middle East and Eastern Europe, where coffee drinking is uh, traditional. And readers are trained to read coffee grounds there instead of tea leaves. Due to the finely ground nature of the coffee, the symbol is formed in the cup by these grounds, but it will look very different from those shapes, signs, and symbols that are made up of tea leaves. But pretty much the principle is still the same. Uh, coffee ground reading as a fortune-telling method from North Africa, the Middle East, and Eastern Europe is probably as old as coffee drinking itself. It's uncertain when coffee reading began, but what is known is that coffee drinking was first introduced into these areas in, 15th, in the 15th century and primarily in what is now Yemen. And coffee readings are done what is excuse me, commonly referred to as Turkish coffee, uh, although a lot of people call Turkish coffee a lot of different things. This is the special finely ground, unfiltered brew uh, that is made. It is also to make, quote, Turkish coffee. Some people also, you'll find it called Cyprus coffee, Greek coffee, etc. Now, whereas there are many similarities between coffee reading and tea leaf reading, like tea leaf reading, coffee readers look at the remains of the coffee grounds to see images and symbols which have significance to the client's current issues or for future events. Coffee reading are also done in an intimate environment with a friend, a client, someone you're face-to-face -face with, very, very closely associated with. However, the tools to prepare and to serve the coffee are somewhat different than from a tea leaf reading. This is a very, very, very old art. It does not predate the casting of lots, 
that's been done as long as we've had access to animal bones and other little bits of trinkets that we use. But this is still a very old and venerable and respected form of reading. It has, unfortunately, begun to pass out of popularity primarily because it is done one-to-one. And in this day and age, a lot of people receive their divination by phone, some even by mail, whether it be email, etc. But I have to tell you, this is a very potent and lovely form of divination. It is of itself quiet. Now, I consider card reading to be quiet. I like the sound that the deck makes when it's being shuffled. I like the lay of the cards on the table. It feels quiet to me. It feels intimate to me. And that being said, this is more so. This is more intimate. This is more quiet. This is more close. If you have not had your tea leaves read or your coffee grounds read, and you happen to live in or near a major metropolitan area in the United States, I encourage you to go out and get this done. It's worth it, at least so that you can experience it at least once. Don't tell me you can't find anybody. If they've got tea rooms in San Francisco where you can get your tea leaves read and in New Orleans, Louisiana where you can get your tea leaves read, then trust me, they're going to have one in Chicago, Baltimore, New York, Miami. You can find a place. L.A., you can find a place. You might have to look around, but you can find a place. I also encourage you to stop and take a look at the different sorts of beautiful teacups that have within them the glazed symbols of whatever symbols you might be able to find, astrological, playing cards, etc. They are a delight not only to see and not only to own, but to use. So it's my hope that this week you will take a little time out of your schedule to look back and study a little deeper on one of the oldest and warmest, no pun intended, forms of divination that we still see practiced in hoodoo today. Our information for the in the in divination in you segment comes not only from our own knowledge but also from the good people at that you can find at readersandrootworkers.org and won't you stop on by and give them a look. Up next, we're going to go into the kitchen and talk about juniper berries. You know, they you can use them for all sorts of things, even making gin. Here come old Todd Walker full of good gin. This morning, seven you men will be back again.
Then she has two whole brownies this evening. That was indeed Bucka White. Uh, I never uh, heard Booker. She says Booker. I always heard Bucka. You know, B-U-K-K-A. I'm sure she's more correct than I. That was Bucka White with Good Gin Blues. And that leads us into our In the Kitchen segment. Now, normally I say something like, but you wouldn't find this in the kitchen. Well, actually, you would find juniper berries in my kitchen, and I have used them on a number of occasions in a number of different things. First, you should know that junipers are coniferous plants of the genus Juniperus, which is of the cypress family. And uh, depending on uh, the taxonomic viewpoint, there are between 50 and 67 species of juniper that are widely distributed throughout the northern hemisphere, uh, from all the way from the Arctic uh, to south to uh, tropical Africa in the Old World, and uh, to the mountains of Central America and Pakistan. The highest known juniper forest occurs at an altitude of 4,900 meters in southeastern Tibet and the northern Himalayas, uh, which creates one of the highest tree lines known on Earth. You should also know, if you don't already, that juniper berries are a spice used in a wide variety of culinary dishes, but they are best known for being the primary flavoring in gin and responsible for gin's name, which is a shortening of the Dutch word for juniper, Jennifer. Juniper berries are also used as the primary flavor in the liqueur Jennifer and Shanti style of beers. Juniper berry sauce is very popular flavoring uh, for quail, 
pheasant, veal, rabbit, venison, and other meat dishes. We also have uh, archaeological evidence, speaking of archaeological evidence, that many of the earliest prehistoric people lived in or near juniper forests, which furnished them with food, fuel, and wood for shelter and utensils. Juniper in Asia is a symbol of longevity, strength, athleticism, and fertility. So I want you to consider all of that while we come down to some of the things you can use juniper for in hoodoo. In hoodoo, juniper berries are believed to foster good luck in sexual relations. They can be used to strengthen a man's nature. To do this, you steep a handful of juniper berries in a bottle of wine or whiskey for one month and then drink a teaspoonful of the liquid every day to increase virility and strengthen nature. The used berries can be sprinkled in your front yard to draw in a new woman or in your backyard to keep a wife satisfied with the sex at home and to keep her in that home. And I have to tell you that I have used juniper berries in this manner for many clients and had very, very good results. But they can also be used for women. They can be used as a yard sprinkle for women to help attract new love. To do this, you add vinegar-soaked berries to your bath, to the woman's bath. Bathe upward to draw in love, and then sprinkle the used bath water with the berries in it into your yard, throwing to the east. And this will create a situation where you will soon meet someone who will become close to you. So it can be used both for men and women. There is a final thing we can say about juniper berries, and it is a bit uncommon these days. These days, and I don't mean to be indelicate, but, you know, you just got to be frank about certain things. These days, women do not douche as much as they had in the past for a variety of reasons. One of those reasons being that we found it's just not that good for you. It doesn't, it's not as healthy. It doesn't promote good health as much as we thought it did, etc., etc. But there is still in hoodoo a lot of old-time, trusted, very real recipes for old-style spiritual and magical douches. And one of these uses juniper. This is a douche to arouse men. To create this douche, you soak juniper berries in distilled vinegar for a month. Then you strain it, dilute it with warm water, and use it as a vaginal douche. This goes by the old name of the hot mama douche and is said to make men eager for sex. So just consider that as you may. You know, just consider that as you may. Your mileage may vary. That's, you know, take it as you will. That's all I'm going to say about it. Well, I'm actually going to say one more thing about it. 
and then I'm not going to say anymore. They were doing it for a reason. Now, weren't they? All right, moving on. Well, that is uh, what we have had to say about juniper berries. And as you have heard, junipers are very uh, populous. You can get juniper berries yourself from a, a trusted seller, or you can collect and dry and use them on your own. It's not that hard. And they are very good. I have used juniper berries in a number of things, and they are just wonderful. I like to keep them around. And I hope that you will take a little time this week, again, to go out and find out more about juniper. Find out about juniper. Read up on it. While you're at it, read up a little bit about gin and the 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 curse of the gin drinker and why gin became such a social issue and why to this day even I say <laughs> I can't trust a man who drinks gin. Our In the Kitchen segment comes to us each and every week, not only from our own knowledge, but also from Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic, a Materia Magica of African-American Conjure by Catherine Ironwood. And we thank her so much for its use and inclusion in the show each and every week. Well, we're running just a little late tonight, but we had a lot to say. And I hope that this week you'll go out Find out more about juniper and juniper berries. Find out more about tea leaf reading and coffee ground reading. Watch the cynicism. You're better than it, particularly the fake cynicism. It's not chic. It's just sad. And that's, uh, huh, that's it. I mean, nobody else is here. They all took off, as always. I thought Miss Loretta had actually had some of that chicken. She, I thought I smelled it, but I, oh, oh well, I guess this is it. I guess this is the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning.